0: Foundation Physiotherapy at Georgetown Honda present Out of the Park with Barry Davis this week Sean Markham says Let the fans boo
1: fans are gonna do what they want They have the right to do that and you just gotta go out and play the game the right way and whatever happens happens
0: And now here's a man that got booed louder at a Blue Jays game than any non-player I have ever seen it was an easy pop fly in a game against Baltimore and from the press box Barry botched it here he is it's Barry Davis oh Tom if I could only
2: have done the thumbs down on on the fans booing <laughs> me. oh I got I got destroyed I got destroyed. Oh, yeah. and, and not only at the ballpark but for weeks and months and even to this day sometimes people look at me and go hey you dropped the pop fly yeah thank you for reminding me of that Thomas oh, you and know, uh, <laughs> you sure do Welcome to the program, folks. That is Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis, and we got a great show for you tonight as we are joined by former Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Sean Markham. And, Thomas, uh, Sean uh, has got an opinion on a lot of things, like a very strong opinion on a lot of things.
0: Yeah, he was definitely one of the more old-school guys that we've talked to. And it's funny because, you know, we talked to pitchers like Stottlemyre, maybe from a generation or, or and a half before, and they tended to be more progressive and on certain issues than than mr markham was but you know what he had some astonishing perspectives about the game and about things like showboating and stuff like that that we get into that are really cool
2: yes it will be a great conversation to check out uh also on the program raj supply is going to join us and he's going to talk about something i've never heard of before in my life and it, I, i'm for those watching I'm so unaware of what this thing is that I actually forgot, and I'm going to look it up again, and I'm going to tell you what it's called. There you go. Liz Frank injury. Are any of you familiar with Liz Frank injury? Frankly, Barry, I'm not. Okay. Raj is going to tell you about it, and and which sport in particular it's uh, most prone to affect. Also, oh, we're going to hear about a great, great new watch that is coming out, one of our... Loyal out-of-the-park listeners has developed a perfect watch for baseball fans. If you love baseball and you like wearing watches, you're going to want to watch this and listen to this because this is a very, very cool thing. Hey, speaking of cool things, Tom, when we come back, whoa, they're red hot at the right time. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You are listening to and watching Out of the Park.
3: A play ball.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And it is first pitch time here on Out of the Park. And uh, wow, so many baseball topics we can get to today, Tom. And uh, as we record this, uh, the Blue Jays coming off yet another big win
0: against the Oakland A's. Where do you want to begin? Well, you know what? I want to begin with reliability. I think the up and down battle over the weekend against Oakland Really illustrates how important it is to have reliability in your life, be it in a bullpen, be it in a starting nine, be it in an automobile, Barry. Whoa, what are you saying, Thomas? Oh, I think I just segued to Honda's, didn't I? Reliable automobiles? I don't know what brought me to it. It just Go so figure. happens
2: that I know someone who works at Honda, and that's me, folks, for those who don't already know. And I, you know, I have really held back from peddling my own business, but heck, it's my business. And if no, and nobody wants to step up and buy sponsorship, then I'm going to buy sponsorship on the station. So mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about uh, the unbelievable Honda cars. And I know uh, if anybody's out there has been looking to buy a car over the last, you know, two, three, four weeks, specifically a used car, you're going to have a really hard time because the industry has just really gone wacky whereas everybody's buying used cars, so there's no used cars. And lot after lot, place after place, there's very few used cars. So if if you are in the market for a used car these days, don't expect to get a deal, (laughs) because these things go so fast. Uh, If you are looking for a new car, again, inventories is a huge thing. And and I I had no idea just how much COVID affected and snowballed to different things, but uh, whether it's cars, boats, ATVs, anything with a motor in it, Tom, they're getting harder and harder to find.
0: So how do they find you, Barry? How do they find you? How do they find Hondas through you?
2: Oh, well, they can uh, DM me on Twitter if you follow me at BarryDavis underscore, or you can email me at Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, at GeorgetownHonda.ca. Come check out the 2022 Civics, folks. They are incredible. I may have to get one. I might trade in my CRV and get a Civic, even though I've only had the CRV for like four months.
0: You need that room, Barry.
2: How, how much room do I need? Look at me.
0: You know what? You'll feel better. The more P. people you get into the nice new Civic, you'll feel better about not having one yourself.
2: It's wow. true. Well, I tell you what, uh, buck forty a liter, maybe it's time to mm-hmm. downsize. That's <laughs> all I have to say. All right. Uh, no downsizing when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays, Tom. And listen, the thing about this team that I find is the most compelling and intriguing is that it can break your heart and make your night three, four, five times in the same game. And that's Mm -hmm. the way this team has been. And the game, I believe it was uh, Thursday, Thursday or Friday, and, uh, yeah, Friday night, and the Jays, you know, had a lead. They blew it. They fell way behind. They tied it. They blew it, and then they, dramatic fashion. Mm -hmm. This is, if you're a sports fan, this is the stuff that you live for.
0: It is, and I think it really underscores, you know, we're five back in the wild card as we are recording this. Um, Just took two exciting games from Oakland, you know, one where we clawed back and then almost gave it away and then finally beat them. And then another one where we again clawed back and then almost gave it all away, but hung on and you know whether we're five games back with five to play and we're completely basically out of it or we're five games back with a month to play this is actually my favorite month of the year for baseball and like when i was a kid my baseball had ended and that september blue jays that was how i got my fix sometimes we were in the pennant race sometimes we weren't and this year we're kind of on the cusp right now right like it's right but Let's look at this as fans. It's an exciting team, just like it was on day one, right? And whether or not we're in the thick of it, I think it's going to be really exciting baseball the rest of the way. I think you're going to have a lot of young players that really want to prove something. So let's not, I'm not even going to worry personally about games behind. I'm not at all. I'm just going to enjoy baseball this month. I think it's going to be amazing.
2: You know, we, we have a lot of uh, very loyal listeners and viewers of Out of the Park, and so if you are this particular person and you are listening or watching the show, uh, please, we would love to have you on next week. I'd love to talk to the person who put that big Facebook post on about Vladimir Guerrero about two weeks ago, about how he's he's oh, burned hell, out, he's done. he's, he's <laughs> done, he might hit one or two more home runs, he's you know he's just so out of gas. Have you seen Vladimir Guerrero play over the last few weeks? Not only is he showing the power again, and he's still getting that average going, but you see him run the bases. This guy's got a lot of gas left in his tank.
0: Yeah. I I don't know. I have a hard time really slagging many of the offensive components this year. Um, You know, not everybody had all-star silver slugger type years, but you're right, I see I see progression almost everywhere in the order. Um Semian is a is a perfect example, I think, of you know, a guy who's really at the top of the league in a lot of offensive categories like home runs, um right up there in war. Uh and there's a lot of people howling for blood. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't think we've got an MVP award for Vladdy this year. And I pro, you know, we probably don't have the playoffs, but again, let's just try and enjoy because there will be some amazing baseball coming up this September. And you're right; like we can get down and we can forget that there's 700 plate appearances in a, in the season. But I don't know. I hope I have a feeling that it's going to be some exciting baseball in September if we don't let where we are in the standings get us too down.
2: Yeah. When I look at you know, the, the Blue Jays offense. And, it, and it's so hard to kind of say, you know, how good this team is as a whole offensively. But you'll hear people look, oh, Grichik, oh, he sucks. Or, you know, and he's this. This is how I like to grade players. I, I look at it and say, are they having a better than average year, an average year, or a below average year? And what I want is I want the nine people in my batting order, I want them to all be having average or above average years. And that's where you're going to. So again, Randall Grichik is not hitting 280, 290 like he was earlier in the season, but he's having an average year. This is this is what Randall Grichik is, right? We can't expect more or less from him. Uh, is Marcus Simeon having a better than average year? Yeah, he is, and that could uh, draw up his value when it comes to being a free agent, and it may be something that the Blue Jays have to look at and say. Is he going to put up another year like that for that amount yeah. of money?
0: Yeah, it, it'll be curious to see kind of how the free agent thing pans out this offseason, right? Like every every year now for the last three years, we've had a different reality that teams and players have to contend with. But I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Like there's there's nobody really sticking out like a sore thumb since while Dolis was unfortunately let go. Like There's nobody that we're howling for. We're, we're what? Well above 500 right now. As of time of
2: recording, 10 games above.
0: Yeah, and we're we're playing in the most competitive division, arguably, in the MLB. Right now, Tampa's raking, and the wild cards in the American League are New York and Boston. They're all in the AL East. And they're so all winning.
2: And, and well, the fact that Jays yeah. took at least two against the Oakland A's, that's huge because that's one of the teams they have to leapfrog.
0: It is. It is. And both of those games, I believe, when we took, we got one on Oakland, but we didn't get one on anybody else around us. But it, it really does. It goes to highlight. Like, this is a great team. There's amazing components. There's a lot to be really happy about. And I think we said at the beginning of the year, it didn't seem like a World Series team. Nope. It seemed like maybe a wild card team. And, you know, your, I remember, Barry, Your your whole push was Nate Pearson. And they just got into a game on the weekend, right? And so that was a big disappointment. But I think that was emblematic of a lot of stuff that happened in the Blue Jays pitching, right? We but, had a really solid core of starters.
2: Yeah, and I was just going to say that. Yeah. Say what you want about how the bullpen has been spotty at best this season, but, man, you could never in your wildest dreams have expected that there would be a Cy Young Award candidate, and it wouldn't be Ryu. Yeah. Right? Yep. I mean, man, I, I have... Uh, a lot of faith in what this Blue Jays rotation can be like in 2022 if they can re-sign Robbie Ray. Because I, yeah. I'd love to see him back in this rotation.
0: Yeah, everybody's everybody's talking semi-in this weekend because of the home run. But, like, I, I'm I'm right with you. Robbie Ray, uh, I thought the, the big miss last season was Tawan Walker. Yep. And, and if we don't get Ray signed and those pants signed, that's yeah. going to be the big mess of this offseason. Uh, so.
2: Well, you know what, Tom? We're <laughs> going to go from pants to watches. And up next, stay with us, folks. You're going to love this, especially if you're a baseball fan. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You're listening to and watching Out of the Park. A little bit of a different look here on Out of the Park now. It's such a beautiful night. We decided to take the show outdoors. Or at least I did. Uh, Tom, you're still indoors. And we want to introduce you now to a guy that is been a long-time listener Out of the park, a big supporter of the show. And, Fred, to know you sent me a DM on Twitter telling me about this watch you created. And as soon as I saw this, I said, oh, we need to get Fred on this show, show the watch off, and let people know how we can get it. First of all, let's, let's see what this watch looks like. All right. Let me show it to you. Just right there.
4: Oh, let me just... So... I don't know if you can see it.
2: Yeah, uh, back, bring it yeah. back a little bit because, yeah, there you go. So if you're a baseball fan, and we'll get a picture of this watch too, Yeah, this is the perfect baseball watch. This thing is gorgeous. How did you come up with this idea, and how are you going about now getting them out to the public?
4: Okay, so basically I uh, I, I was searching online and saw that the beautiful Hublot watch that was uh, made for the uh, World Baseball Classic back in 2013 if I'm not mistaken and when I tried to buy it I saw it was $18,000 so I figured out I would uh, I that from my girlfriend and I realized that I was better to create one myself so <laughs> I did some research on how to to uh, manufacture what's basically and found some uh, manufacturers who were willing to, uh, to help me out with that and then I start uh, drawing it and uh, with some back and forth with the manufacturer, we came out with uh, that model and uh, it's pretty cool. In fact, there's a lot of details in it. You have the, the own plate at 12 o'clock. You have three oh, wow. bases, which are also diamond at uh, three o'clock, six o'clock and nine o'clock. You have the seams as well in the middle of the watch. And the strap is also recalling a baseball.
0: Yeah, the strap is actually my favorite feature of the watch uh you know you've got the black and white options uh, available i've seen i've seen images of the white is stunning and i would never wear a white watch strap ever in my life i will wear this one it looks absolutely amazing it looks just like a baseball it it's absolutely where did you come up with the idea for it
4: well, uh, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I've, I thought it would be a great addition to the watch, but I wasn't sure either, because never I would have wear a white strap, so that's why I get the black strap as well.
0: <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, that, the, the black strap seems like the plane it's safe, but I, I think this is, this is my prediction. I think the white strap will let sell at two to one because it just it really it, it sets off the watch. It's such a unique looking watch. What was your inspiration for the design of it?
4: Well, basically I, I thought about baseball and I tried to get some details and I leave the dial, which is the face of the watch, uh, a skeleton, which you can see through just mm-hmm. to show the movement because the precision of a movement is just like a precision of a pitch. I mean, if you recall AJ Burnett curveball,
2: <laughs>
4: there's a word behind that and you see that in the watch. So that's basically where the idea came from.
2: Now. There's a limited amount. You're only making 300 of these. So first of all, why the limited amount? And how can somebody get one of these watches when they're available?
4: Well, the 300 amount is another small detail. 300 Club. So that's basically (laughs) the reason why. So, and it's going to be available on Kickstarter uh, on August 16th. And I've decided to go on Kickstarter because it's the safest place for both myself and the the customer, basically. Because if the project isn't funded, you're not losing your money, you get refunded. And I'm not uh, fronting the money to uh, purchase 300 watches, basically.
2: Awesome. Well, there's only gonna be 298 available because Tom and I are both gonna be first in line to get one. Uh, uh, We both love this thing. Like we really love it. I can totally see myself wearing a watch like this every day. Listen, Fred, thank you so much for, for joining us, and good luck with this project, and we're going to do everything we can to push this out to our viewers as well.
4: Well, thank you very much, guys. Have a great day. Thanks
0: so much. Have a great day. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room.
2: Well, joining us, as he does on each and every Out of the Park, is our good pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. It's all. We're here. We are actually doing this uh, without Tom today. So go ahead. Do you want to rip him? Uh, He'll he'll be watching, so go ahead.
5: (laughs) (laughs) No wonder it feels lighter in here. (laughs) (laughs) Very good.
2: Raj Sapaya, three locations. uh, Now, uh, vaccine passports. Have you guys uh, figured out how that's going to work with Foundation Physiotherapy?
5: Uh, Okay, so... um we are essential, uh, so we kind of fall into the aspect of healthcare care for our clients uh, or any pa- uh, patients that have to walk through the door. We do not require to show a vaccine passport, uh, you have to fill out a COVID screening form, like we do everywhere we go. But we are not allowed to deny care, that's just because it's healthcare care and it's essential. Um, but we know in society the other non essential stuff, like restaurants and bars and gyms are the ones that require vaccine. Our staff, however, have a vaccination policy in place. Um, But our patients, we don't discriminate. Uh, They just have to fill out a
2: COVID form like everybody does. All right. We got that out of the way. Yeah. Uh, The locations. Let's get the locations out so people know where to find you. Yeah,
5: we have three locations in Toronto. One uh, right downtown at City Place, one at the core and we have one of the East End near the distillery. So and we have one online. If you can't, if downtown doesn't work for you, then give us a call online and one of our therapists will be happy to jump on a virtuals chat with you and figure out what's going on.
2: Nice. Okay, so every once in a while, Raj Sapaya, I see an injury note and I look at it and go, What in the world is that? I've never heard of that before. Have you ever had anyone come into your office and say, Raj, I'm suffering from Liz Frank injury? Like, where do they come up with these names? And please tell me that th- there was somebody famous named Liz Frank who discovered the cure for this? Or, like, what do we know about this?
5: Yeah, so typically, actually typically in a lot, in a lot of these medical terms, it's typically named after the doctor who has found those, that type of condition um, or treated it. So I, I believe in this case it was named after, like, a doctor or a surgeon that, like, coined this injury. So he, I think he saw it in a bunch of different athletes or soldiers. And that became like his uh, his injury. So that's okay. what I think Liz Frank is. But I I don't I we you know how to treat it. I'm not sure of the history of it. But I know
2: how okay. To it. Well, let's let's talk about before we look get into the treating of it. What is it? And, and what what type of sport would you think it is most common to occur in? Okay.
5: Yeah. So it's, that's a good question. Um, if we look at our foot. Okay. So Liz Frank injury happens in our foot. Um, and if we look at our foot, where our toes eat the eat the foot. Right? so think about like tracing back to your toes where the toes meet our foot that's called our midfoot so that area between the toes and our ankle essentially that's called our midfoot right uh, and a Lisfranc injury is a bone or ligament injury that's going to like displace the bones in that midfoot area so it's actually several bones that have that we have a lot of bones in our feet um, and when bones get displaced whether it's because of a break like a small fracture or whether because the ligaments or the tendons have been ruptured uh, that's called a list frank injury. So a list frank injury in a general term is a midfoot trauma. And the so sports be, are
2: so it could it could be a break, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a break.
5: No, it doesn't have, it could just be like a displacement, kind of like the two bones could just be apart, like it could just be a compression, or it could be that the tendons in it
2: are like ruptured. Okay. okay. Sports that are most common to see this type of injury. Uh surprisingly, it's not like you probably will see it
5: if I'm gonna. Be honest, in, in the four big sports four sports, you're probably gonna see most football. Uh, when like a heavy player steps on another player. So typically it's when like one player's foot is like kind of like think about his heels off the ground, so that that midfoot is exposed. So only his toes and his midfoot are on the ground, and then another player falls or crushes on it right? Uh, that's where you're gonna get that displacement. So of the big four, you're probably gonna see it in in football, uh, but it also happens in like in any kind of sports like where their foots are binded in, skiing, um, snowboarding, kiteboarding, like all those things where your foots binded into some sort of device, and your body might twist over it.
2: So if, some, if, you, if somebody's diagnosed with this, uh, there could be a myriad of things that you could do to uh, – in some cases, it may not even be physiotherapy. It may be you need to go to a surgeon and, and get something done on it. I mean, is that how wide-ranging this is? It is. It is.
5: I, you're always going to need physio. It just depends when you need it.
2: Right. Always. Right? Never forget the physio.
5: <laughs> always <laughs> depends when you need it. But first, you might need a surgeon. Uh, I think definitely you're going to, if there is some sort of major trauma to the midfoot, uh, because there's so many bones in there, uh, even if you can put weight on the foot, we will always suggest getting an x-ray to see what's happening. So at first and foremost, you get the x-ray, see what's happened in that foot. And if the x-ray reveals like a fracture or a displacement, the next call is to go to the surgeon. Now, because those bones are small, they might not always operate on those bones. It's not like a femur or something like that where it's easy to operate on. They might just conservatively operate. They might put boot, and let the bones heal themselves so you don't displacing it further. And then once the boot is off, you start physio to your, regain your through back. Um, there might be some small tendon repairs they do in there, but it really depends the extent of the So the step's always going to be the answer first, then likely a consult with the surgeon, and then probably you'll still need physio depending on what the surgeon requires.
2: So, Raj, uh, could I make an appointment to see you about the fact that I am suffering from Raj Sapaya syndrome?
5: Well, that's just if you miss me so much. You... No,
2: no, no. Raj <laughs> Sapaya syndrome is a serious pain in the ass. Oh, so... come on.
5: <laughs> come on. That's not
2: good. But one that we love. Raj, always great chatting with you. Uh, you know, Maybe we'll have to call it the, the Tom Fourth injury, okay? <laughs>
5: or the Barry Davis syndrome where well, that's just, you just
2: you know, <laughs> excessive happiness. That's what I suffer. Oh, from. is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> okay. Raj, uh, always a pleasure. Great to talk to you and we'll chat again with you next week.
5: Thanks, guys. See you
2: later. we matched up against the other team's number one as last four times out.
5: He gets Matt Trainer to end the inning.
2: How are you enjoying coaching? I mean, I'm loving your Facebook posts and all of the great moments that you've had coaching these kids. First of all, Uh, For those viewers and listeners that don't know, uh, who do you coach and and, and how long have you been doing it for?
1: Um, Baseball-wise, I coach at Liberty High School. Um, This past season was my third season there, um, minus the, I guess, second official season with playing since we got canceled in 2020 with COVID. Um, And then I've got my son's um, youth team. Um, There'll be 15 new incoming freshmen. And then I help with my my middle child's team. They'll be 12 years old. And then I coach wrestling at Excelsior Springs, where my uh, my alma mater, my high school, my hometown.
0: Wow. So where where's your passion right now? Is it on the baseball diamond or is it in the wrestling ring?
1: Um, during baseball season, it's on the diamond, and during um, starting mid September, it transfers into the wrestling room. And I'll I'll be full go uh, with wrestling from pretty much mid September until late February.
2: Wow. We got to get into this wrestling thing, because I I know that you did it when you were in high school. OK, so I know that we're talking Olympic style wrestling, but were you a fan of the TV wrestling that we see? And is there any any similar anything that they do in Olympic type wrestling that they actually do in the fake stuff? Um, playing in Toronto, you we
1: went to the, one of the uh, pay-per-views there, and then I was actually at the pay-per-view event in Kansas City. Shoot, that was a long time ago, but when, when Owen Hart fell from the roof and, and, and died, I was at that uh, pay-per-view event. Oh, so geez. I followed wrestling for a long time.
2: So did you ever want to be that style of wrestler? Could we have ever seen Sean Markham in the trunks with, like, a, a mask on or something?
1: No, I would not have seen that. I'm not jumping off the <laughs> ropes and doing all that fake stuff.
2: What, if, what about MMA? Because uh, to me, I think MMA is probably a little bit closer to what kind of wrestling you would have done.
1: Yeah, it's a little closer. You get obviously with the punching and kicking and all that stuff. But I don't know if I would have done that because I didn't like to be hit. So I was more of the guy that wanted to put pain on people. So I don't know how I would have handled somebody hitting me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One of the things I was really surprised of attending a Jays event a few years ago and getting to talk to, to players like Lloyd Mosby and Jesse Barfield, and the one thing they were talking about for young and up-and-coming players is the diversity of, of activities that they do. Um, so as a baseball coach, do you like seeing a guy on your team that is also wrestling as well? Do you find that it helps?
1: From a pitching standpoint, I love it because it's one-on-one. Um, that way, they're not looking over their shoulder, trying looking for help, looking to the bullpen for help. So I love it from a pitching standpoint. Um, and, but then I also like it um, for position players as well, just because the work ethic that you have to have with wrestling, um, those guys that work hard in wrestling, it translates into under the, the baseball field. Um, you know, they're able to do stuff on their own, get their in on their own, and they have great work ethic. Um, it just it just seems like those the wrestlers it's just instilled in those guys to work hard because there's once you get in the circle and get out on the mat, there's nobody there to help you. It's it's all on you to either go out there and and win, or you go out there and get your ass kicked all over the mat. So it's kind of it's up to you at that point. And you got to put in the work and and have the m- right mindset.
2: Every pitcher has their out pitch. Do you have do you have an out move for wrestling? Do you have your your kind of uh, trademark Sean Markham put the guy on the mat move?
1: Um, I was a I don't know if you guys how much you followed wrestling and the freestyle stuff, but I was a big John Smith guy. So I shot a lot of low single legs when I was in in high school and youth wrestling. Um, and then when I was on top, I was a leg rider. So I was, those were my, my go-to moves on my feet. I was terrible on bottom. So my goal is not to get underneath anybody.
2: It, it still baffles my mind, Sean, that you don't like to be hit, but you, you got into wrestling. Like, I understand that you, your goal is to do more of the hitting, but how do you do it when you don't want, when you don't like being hit?
1: well i think wrestling was a little different i was fortunate enough to have good coaching um growing up throughout throughout my career I mean, i started wrestling when i was five so um wrestling for, for throughout many years and then having some quality coaches in high school and practicing one with one of them he kicked the crap out of me for two years he would just take me in the corner and beat the crap out of him my junior senior year every day at practice for two and a half hours and once you get on the mat you go know, from wrestling that guy that, Went on, I think he was a three-time high school state champion and wrestled in college. Um, having that guy as your practice partner every day, go out and wrestle a high school kid, it made it a lot easier for me. So I didn't lose too too often, um, especially my junior and senior year in high school. So that worked out. Has
0: there been any times where wrestling had to come into play in baseball, say on an inside pitch where someone charged the mound at you? Was it nice to have that backup? I, I went looking through the, your Blue Jays days, and I couldn't find anything of someone charging the mound.
1: You know, I hit, I don't, probably shouldn't say it, but I threw it a couple guys intentionally. I got fined once, um, but nobody ever charged. Um, I'm trying to think, I know I hit Luke Luke Scott once when they threw up and in on Batista a couple times. Um, got fined for that and I hit A-Rod once when we had all that stuff with, uh, I think it was Hallie Clark. I know Towers oh, yeah. got him as well, um, but we never, we cleared benches, but never had, no, we never cleared when I was pitching.
2: Saved at least one more hit pitch for A-Rod when he hit that big one off you, you know? Yeah. In hindsight, you could have got him right right in the knee or something, you know?
1: Yeah, instead of giving up 600, you know, you look back at him, but it is what it is. I'm not, that, that's part of the wrestling mentality too. I'm not going to avoid competition or avoid, avoid anything. I'm going to go right after it. And, and I made a mistake pitch and he hammered it.
2: One, one of the worst moments of my broadcasting career, Sean, was when I had to go into the clubhouse and ask you about that after the game because I knew that there's no way I'm going to get Oh yeah, he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. And like, you know, you just you just dread having to ask, right? <laughs> Something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean the, I'm not I wasn't a fan of him um playing against him. Um it is what it is, but I don't I d didn't mind him afterwards when I was playing talking with him. He was a little more down to earth and laid back. He wasn't the Arod that you saw on the field, but uh, when you're competing against him, you don't like a lot of guys that you're competing against anyway.
0: I'll jump a little bit from kind of a negative memory, and and I'll ask you, you know, of your years in Toronto or or perhaps Milwaukee, um, are the two teams that come right to mind. Do you have a moment that's kind of the opposite of that A-Rod moment where you think back and it just floods you with good memories?
1: Yeah, I, I had a ton of good memories in Toronto, and then and obviously Milwaukee. The one year we made the playoffs. Um, my second year in Milwaukee didn't end while I was injured, but uh, you know, all my whole time in Toronto, I loved it wish i you know you look back it's like man i wish i wouldn't have ever been traded um i was lucky enough to get traded to a team that was able to play in the postseason and we were one win away from or two wins away from playing in the world series so um it, it worked out for me but man i missed i missed toronto after i got traded still kept in touch with those guys playing against them but i mean there's a lot of memories um my debut uh or that september call-up month um she throwing the, the one hit or the one hitter out in oakland um, that was, I think my only complete game in the big leagues was out there. And I think they got the hit, leadoff hit in the eighth inning. It's a solo home run. And that was the only hit they had. Um, I can't remember who, I think it was Connor Jackson that hit it, um, then hitting a grand slam on July 4th, um, against Arizona, I believe. I think I also gave up a 600 foot home run to William Opeña, but, um, there's a lot of good memories, um. You know, it was a lot of fun playing. I definitely missed the competition side of it, but it's fun to to coach a lot of these kids, and hopefully some of these guys will make it someday.
2: You know, you mentioned your time in Toronto, and players that play for the Blue Jays always talk about what great fans they have here in Toronto, and I don't think we really see a scope of how good the fans were with the players until you see other cities. And, I mean, just this past week, this whole situation with the New York Mets. And I know you were a Met for that one season. It was not a a memorable season, but you saw what it was like with the fans. And I I don't know if you you saw the story, but Mets fans traditionally boo their team and their players when they aren't playing well. And the Mets players have this thing where they give the thumbs down and Javi Baez went on record talking about how they're doing this back to the fans for booing them and now... Kevin Pillar, Marcus Stroman, everyone's kind of jumping in and they're getting fried by, by people as well. Um, from, from your experience as a baseball player, I mean, is booing something that you've always believed the fans have the right to do?
1: Yeah, they have the right. I mean, they're going to cheer when you're doing well. They're going to boo you when you're not, you're getting paid millions of dollars. So they, they expect you to go out there and perform to a high level. Um, I think all the players expect to perform to a high level, but I mean, at the same time, they got to realize we're humans. We're going to you know, it's a game. It's, it's a tough game. Um, whether, you know, I mean, shoot nowadays, it's a lot different hitting wise. I mean, everybody's throwing 98 to 101 miles an hour, it seems like, and balls moving all over the place. So I can only imagine how hard it is to hit now and what those guys are going through. But New York, I don't know if it's so much the fans or what the media puts out that makes the fans get on the, on the players. Cause it's, it's definitely a tough place to play with the media, the market, all that stuff and, and everybody. Um, but the fans, they're good fans. They're um, they're loyal when you're doing well, and they're going to let you know when you're not. Um, where it seemed like Toronto, even Milwaukee, they were even St. Louis, shoot, as a visiting player in St. Louis. Those, man, they're just good baseball fans. You go back and watch a lot of St. Louis games, and you can be a visiting player and make a great play, and they'll stand and applaud for you. They're just quality baseball fans. It's It's nice to see some of those. But at the end of the day, man, baseball fans are going to do what they want. They have the right to do that. And you just got to go out and play the game the right way, and whatever happens, happens.
2: Can you see both sides of it, though, Sean? Can you see, you know, yeah, the, the fans have the right to express their, you know, displeasure. And as a player, I mean, you, you are thinking you are our fans. Why are you booing us? And that kind of almost. But to me, like, I understand them feeling that way. But to actually fight back, it almost seems like it's a losing battle for the players to fight back against the fans.
1: Yeah, I would think it is, um, especially there in New York. Um, they can be, be ruthless at times, so they're gonna. They may even come out even worse and, and get on even more. Um, I've always looked at it as I'm playing for your team, support us whether we're we're doing well or, or we're not. Um, if we're, you know, if you, you support us, and that might help us get out of our slump or whatever it is. Um, I was fortunate enough back in Toronto and even early Milwaukee. Um, we didn't have all the social media stuff, so you didn't have to worry about reading a lot of that stuff. Um, if you wanted to read, you had to find it in newspaper, so it was nice to be able to avoid all that. It's got to be a little harder on them now with all the social media and Twitter and and all that. Um, you know, you see it with Trevor Bauer all the time, but just people just nonstop on you about whatever it is that's going on.
0: Would you worry uh, yourself as a player, or even now as a coach? Would you worry about the distraction that that causes? Because it does; it throws them into that sort of twenty-four-hour news cycle where everything that a player says and does is magnified and parsed over, and and you know, it it can just sort of seem like an endless nightmare. Would it would it be something you'd encourage people to stay far away from, or is it just kind of going to be a part of the game going forward? Do you think?
1: Uh, I don't think it's going to go away. Social media, I think it's only going to get, get bigger, um, especially the way they're wanting everybody to engage with the fans and let them be kids and and, and be themselves and do all that. So all these people are going to be out there doing all their social media things. Um, as a player, or if I was coaching somebody, I just take it for what it is. Don't let it affect you. If you can, um, I would try to avoid it. Um, not post anything stupid where somebody come after you. Um, and if you're going to post anything, you know, it's, Probably wouldn't even post anything, you know. I would just have the Twitter, just because we they wanted us to. But um, I, I'd most likely try to stay away from, it, especially in, a, in New York or um, Boston, any any one of those big media markets where, you, or like what you see with Bauer too. A lot of those guys that have those big media Twitter followers, um, but they're self promoting themselves, and um, some of it works out, some of them get endorsements and and all that. But I, for me, I'd stay away from it. I try to encourage my players to stay away from it and just focus on the game.
2: You know, it's funny. Uh, I'm the father of a 21-year-old, and, and sometimes he, he kind of looks at me and said, you know, Dad, do you do you ever remember, were you ever 21? Were you ever a kid? And and it makes me think of, of you now as a coach. When you look back to yourself as that kid when you were first coming up, and now you look almost as this father figure, God, you're almost 40-year-old, Sean. I come on. Uh, December. Do, yeah, do you almost, <laughs> do you have to be reminded sometimes that, the way these players may be acting that you as the adult think, come on guys, that you were doing the same thing as a kid too. You
1: know, I look back at coaching my son's team. They do a lot of the crap that you see, which I call it crap because the game's not the way it was back when we were coming up, you know, Um, it was a little more old school back then. You ran hard, you did everything um, to try to, you know, you didn't jog. You sprinted on and off the field. Um, So now everybody watches a lot of the. The major league guys and it's a lot of showboating which i'm not a big fan of um so it's it's, it's tough to say um on that aspect of it, i tried to tell tell my kids play the game hard play the game the right way um i think eventually baseball will hopefully turn back around as far as the non-showboating letting the players handle the game on the field or handle things on the field themselves and not having some of the um policing going on from all the off-field guys, but let the players handle it, handle themselves on the field, and see how it goes. Because I think once that starts happening, some of that stuff will go away.
0: A lot of the changes that have happened in baseball, you know, say in the last ten or fifteen years, it seems to be ramping up. And you know, um, one one area in particular is pitching, and it's probably changed fundamentally more than any other area in baseball. As someone yourself, you know, you were a low-velocity control pitcher that had a ton of success. Do you see people like that as a coach coming through this the pipeline now? Are they making it up into the lower minor leagues with lower velocities or do you almost need ninety five at a high school now to write a ticket?
2: Um,
1: I haven't had anybody um, make it to Pro ball yet. Um, you know, I start I started in college and coaching college in two thousand fifteen and we didn't have anybody drafted. I was only there for two years and um, now coaching high school we've got a couple couple kids. Um, that I've coached here the last two years that I think got a chance to make it. Um, I mean, my nephew's one of them. My nephew's one of them. Um, he's one of them that could possibly be a draft guy next year. And then we've got a kid at Liberty that I'm coaching that Pretty sure he's going to be a draft guy. He's up to 96. Um, was up up to 96 a couple weeks ago. But I think I think they, for the high school kids and even the college kids, they're going to look at your body. You could be 89, 92. But if you're six five and 150 pounds and you're projectable i think that you know that's something they can they'll take a shot at just because you're projectable body type as well as you, as long as you can locate the ball and spin it a little bit the spin rate's a big thing now
2: do you think we're ever going to see a pitcher like a roy halliday that type of guy that you know that beast of a pitcher do you think we'll ever see anything like that again
1: um now that um, pitchers are starting to figure out the launch angle thing and how to pitch to it. I think pitching will come back where you have to be able to locate. Um, I was actually talking to Rick Kranitz um, was probably a year or two ago, and he was saying the same thing that he thinks it'll come back um, just because you get a lot of those guys that are filmed 95 to 100 that don't know where the ball is going. And then when they have a couple bad outings, they go to the next guy or bring the next guy up that's doing the same thing. And it's hard to. It's hard, I think it's hard to have success like that um, where you can have somebody like Roy, somebody that you know is going to go out there and, and give you 200-plus innings and, I mean, just the way the bullpens are built now, too, I just got to imagine it's got to come back. You know, it's baseball cycle. I think it'll cycle back through. And who knows what Manfred will do if that's another topic. But who knows what that that guy will end up doing. But um, I, I just think, it, I think it'll come back. And it, it, a lot of it will, too, depend on if, they, if he eliminates a shift. Because then people probably aren't going to try the launch angle thing and trying to hit it over everybody's head. They're going to go back to their normal, old approach of trying to hit the ball where it's pitched.
0: Now, another big thing that's changed, obviously, is the injury sort of situation with pitchers. Um, Are you seeing it at younger, like, as we're seeing, obviously, we're seeing tons of it in the major leagues from the year 2000 to now. It's just, it seems like it's exponentially increasing. Are you seeing it at the development league or the development levels with younger players, the injury starting, or is this something that just seems to happen as they get further up in their development?
1: I haven't seen it yet um, with my with my son's team or even my younger son's team. And then with the high school, it's, I mean, there may have been some schools we played uh, played against, but we haven't had any. Um, I think it's that's a lot of it too, just everybody trying to throw so hard, whether it's doing all these weighted balls or constantly throwing year round or, or max effort every single pitch and not actually pitching. So I think that has a lot to do with the arm injuries. And then with the spin rates, trying to manipulate the ball so much, that they're maybe putting more torque on their elbows or shoulders, trying to trying to make get all that spin rate that they're that all these clubs are wanting.
2: When you're working with a young pitcher now, and and, yeah, I mean, your philosophy as a pitcher was you go out there every fifth day and your goal was to pitch nine innings, complete the game and get the win. Nowadays, that's, that's not even on the radar for teams. I mean, you know, once you're through the lineup three times, next pitchers in there now. So, do you look at grooming young pitchers differently with a different philosophy, like go out and give them your best four innings and give it everything you have, as opposed to, you know, lengthening yourself to be a guy that can go seven, eight, nine innings.
1: Uh, At the high school level, we have pitch counts. um, And depending on how many pitches you throw, um, we'll let us know when you can pitch again. So if you throw so many pitches, you have to have so many days of rest. So I just tell them to go out and, and attack hitters and try to get the ball put in play in three pitches or less. And if they get to an 0-2-1-2 count, then they try to go for the strikeout, but try to pitch the contact. Um, Just that way we can get some depth out of our starting pitchers, being being that we have pitch counts. And we played quite a bit of games. We played 36 games in in the state of Missouri, and I think we played in that in like two and a half months, two months. It seems like we're playing every day. So there's not a whole lot of time for practices. And constantly playing and having been a high school team with – I mean, I think our varsity team might have 14 players. Um, so you don't have a ton. It's not like a 25 man roster. So you got to have guys that go out there and, and go deep into games with their 105 pitch count. You got to be able to go out there and give us five six things.
0: That was actually going to be the question I was going to ask you is what a typical pitch count or limit would be at the high school level. So about 100. So hundred for
1: high school. If you're a junior, so if you're a junior or senior, on varsity, well I guess it doesn't matter. If you're a junior or senior, you can throw 105. If you're a freshman or sophomore, I think it's 90 or 95 is your max. So, so when you, th- you gotta go out there and, and then like I said, if you throw more than thir- or less than 30, you can pitch the next day. If you throw from like 30 to 45, you have to have a day off. If it's 45 to I think 60, you have to have two days rest, 65 to 80 or something's three days rest. And anything over 80, you have to have four days off
0: so when you look back to your development um were there pitch counts back then
1: no <laughs> no <Nope. laughs> um i so, remember
0: <laughs> i remember my junior year in high school i threw i
1: think it was my junior year might have been my senior year, but i threw 114 pitches in uh our district semifinal game and then closed closed the game the next day wow <laughs> so probably led to some arm injuries later on in my career
0: yeah that would have been my my next follow-up is do you think that the 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 limits are, are they going to be something that helps because it doesn't seem that it is putting all these pitching limits and you know we still keep running into injury after injury but is is it something do you think that'll help eventually
1: i think if if they're coach younger coming up um so like with my 14 with my younger or my older son's team they're 14 15 years old i, I keep them on that high school pitch count and we started doing that when they we were 13 i'm like once you get to high school you got to be able to do this for four years and a lot of colleges, I mean, they'll, they'll kind of do something similar. They don't run guys out there 130 pitches. They may go 115, 110, 100, whatever, but they don't run them out there 130-some pitches. So I, I, I've i been doing that for two years now. I mean, I don't abuse anybody. Like if they throw – usually try to keep them around the 85, 95 range, um, and then they're going to have plenty of time off. And then, you know, but they're consistently throwing that same pitch gown every day or every weekend or have been for the last couple of years, so their arms are – I think, conditioned for what they're going to be used to or or going into high school with and possibly into college ball with.
2: Now, unlike you, Sean, or you, Tom, my son never played baseball at any kind of high level, so I never experienced that feeling of of watching him play And as a father and as a baseball guy. Now, Tom, you didn't play baseball professionally. Sean, you did, so (laughs) I'm just curious, and I've seen Tom's son play, and I know the feeling that Tom has when he watches his son, but having the career that you had, what does that mean to you when you see your son out there? Does he pitch?
1: Um, he does some. He doesn't listen to me. Um, <laughs> so it's it's amazing. Um, I was a college shortstop, and college shortstop and hitter and played professionally as a pitcher, and he'll only listen to me about defense. He doesn't really listen to me when it comes to hitting or pitching. So, um, so he doesn't pitch much just because he wants to do his own thing and doesn't throw strikes very much. My middle child, all he does is throw strikes. So, I mean – I know there was one game this year, he threw like 56 pitches and it was like 44 strikes or something. So he just pounds the strike zone, but my older boy, I don't know what the heck, he's going through his head, it must be the teenage years. Um, So he doesn't pitch a lot, but I've got plenty of arms and I'm actually going to start taking my son to the guy that I played with in college that um, produces a lot of really good arms and high draft picks out of of Missouri and Kansas City area, on the Kansas side as well, and that's what he does with mechanics and all that. So I'm actually going to take him over there and see if My son will listen to him a little bit.
2: I feel so much better now that you've said that because my son is is going into the the media department, but not on-air stuff. Like, he does all this editing. And I've told him many times, listen, I've been editing things, video and audio, for 25 years. But, nope, dad, you're just my... Like, you don't know because you're my dad. So it happens. The kids just, you know, they don't (laughs) care how much experience you have. They want to do it their way. So... That's what's good.
1: I'm actually looking forward to to this this coming spring because um, since I coach at Liberty, my son goes to Excelsior. I won't be coaching him until summer, so he'll have to – it'll be the first time he's played, played baseball for somebody else. I'm kind of looking forward to it, um, see what kind of player – hopefully this coach can develop him a little bit, and maybe he'll say something or teach him something that I haven't shown him. Um, but it'll also be nice to when I'm not coaching at Liberty to come watch him play and actually sit in the seats or sit somewhere and not be in the dugout and just be a dad for – for a few months, and to be able to watch play.
2: Well, listen, uh, you mentioned your love for Toronto, and you still have a lot of fans here in this city. And we've invited uh, three of your fans to uh, join us here on the Zoom, and each one of them are going to ask you uh, a question, and they'll probably be better than the questions uh, that I've been asking and Tom has been Sounds asking. Good. So uh, <laughs> say hello to. Uh, We've got Jody, we've got Craig, and we've got Fiona, and uh, each one of them are going to ask you a question. And uh, Jody, let's uh, start with you. I'll let you uh,
3: say hello to Sean and uh, fire away. Hey, Sean. Nice to meet you. You too. Um, So uh, just to tag on to what you and Barry were just talking about, I got sort of looped in to helping coach my son's team this year, um, and... I said immediately to the convener of the league when she was asking, you know, we really need some help. Is there any other you could help out? And I said, I would. Um, I said, but he won't listen to me. And even we get to the field. And the first thing I say is, get your glove on, bud. Go play catch, go warm up. And he just looks at me like I have like six eyes. So it's not the other coach says, come on, bud. Get your glove <laughs> <get> your- <No." laughs> on, So if- they're all the same. Um, I wanted to ask you something that's, um pretty much unrelated I think to what you guys talked about so far um but something that's happening a lot with teams in the game these days um is the the, the antics that they have after home runs um you know the the laundry You're referring to the jacket that the blue Jays have their home yeah, run jacket. the home run jacket yes. <laughs> the laundry card the whatever what do you think <laughs> of
1: that stuff um I'll be honest I... It's probably been since I've actually sat down and watched the major league games, probably been three or four years. Um, I'll flip on every now and again. If it's somebody that I know, which there ain't too many, aren't, aren't too many players that I played with or against still playing. Um, I've got some friends. Uh, one of my good friends that I grew up with as a manager for the Padres. So I'll turn on some of their games. But I, I can't stand it. I just want you to hit like Scott Rowland. He was my idol when he hit a home run. I love how Scott Rowland hit a home run. He hit a home run and sprint around the bases, come back and let's play baseball. Like let's, keep the game moving. That's part of probably why Manfred gets so upset and wants to put all these clocks in there and and this and that so we can speed the game up. Well, if you run the bases like you're supposed to and get on and off the field like you're supposed to, you wouldn't have to deal with that stuff.
2: There you go. Jody, thank you for the question. Very succinct answer and and exactly what I expected from you, Sean. Uh, Fiona, you're up next with Sean Markham.
3: Hi, Sean. It's nice to meet you. You too. I'm just wondering, when you played for the Jays, which pitching coach did you learn more from, Brad Arnsberg or Bruce Walton?
1: Oh, man. Great question. Um, I learned, actually learned, it's hard to I don't know if I learned more from one of them or not. I probably learned more from Roy Halladay. Um, in the big leagues, it seems like it's a lot different. Um, we would always go down, myself, AJ, um, Dustin, um, Jesse Litchman, we would go to each other and watch each other's bullpens. And then sitting in the dugout, trying to pick Doc's, Doc's brain a little bit. Um, so I probably learned a little bit more from Doc than I did any of my pitching coaches. They, they were more there with game planning and stuff like that. But when, if it came to mechanical stuff, um, I probably learned a little bit more from Doc. Now, I did learn some grips and stuff from from, um, from Bruce and, and same with Arnie with my with my slider. Um, and Bruce was more of the changeup. But um, just from a pitching standpoint, I think overall, I probably learned more just from picking Doc's brain and watching Doc pitch.
2: How long did it take you to get up enough nerve to actually approach Doc? Because we've talked to a number of the guys that that were part of that rotation uh, here on this show, Uh, Brett Cecil, one of them, and talked about how intimidating it was. And he was uh, afraid to actually, you know, break the ice with Doc. Did you just connect with him on a different level, or did you just say, screw it, I'm just going to go ask him?
1: We pretty much said screw it when AJ left. So, Doc didn't have anybody to talk to. It was all us, all of the younger guys on the pitching staff, so he had to talk to us when he opened up, and we were able to pick his brain a lot more.
2: Wow. So he would actually really open up and, and, and share stuff with you guys then?
1: Yeah, we'd uh, we'd, we'd talk grips or pitching and um, how, you know, especially with me and, and Jesse because we didn't throw 100 miles an hour like McGowan or Brandon League or somebody like that, So or even AJ when he was there. We kind of had to pitch similar to Doc, you know, with the, with the two-seamer and, and the cutter away and all that. Um, the breaking ball, the changeup. So we we all pitched kind of similar to the three of us. So it was picking Doc's brain, how he did certain things, Um, grips, how he got the movement and stuff that he he got. But um, just, I mean, shoot, you can just watch Doc and not even talk to him and learn a lot.
2: Very good point. Fiona, thank you again for your question. Uh, Craig, you are up next. Say hello to Sean.
1: All right, thank you,
5: Thomas. Uh, Sean, absolutely great to be on. Before my question, a quick comment. That that one
2: hitter you had in Oakland is such a microcosm of how wonky the game of baseball is and how difficult it is. You're right, Sean. It was Connor Jackson hitting that home run to sprawl your no-hitter. It was one of two home runs Connor Jackson hit that season, like, just incredible bad luck, but that's baseball, right? That's the the flow of the game. Uh, Incredible. And if I remember right, it was the
1: first pitch of the inning because I was like, I'm just going to throw it. I got a no hitter going. I'm going to throw it pretty much down the middle. He's probably taken. Well, he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get get an early, early strike.
2: (laughs) Now, Sean, I'm really fascinated to hear your thoughts. I want to get between your ears on this because I know you had the, the I'm, I'm hoping the pleasure of working with a lot of veteran catchers in your days, two of the Molina brothers, Jose and Benji. As your battery mates you know jonathan lucroy uh here in
0: toronto rod barajas greg zon i remember jason phillips ended his career as a blue jay and the two of you were very effective together so i'd love to hear sean what was important to you in your relationship with your catcher
1: um sure i i threw for uh, with a lot of veterans john buck was another one um, John Buck, and, like in toronto and, and, and new york but i for me it was a comfort comfort thing somebody i was comfortable with and somebody that was on the same page with me where i didn't have to shake um, somebody that I trusted, where whatever they put down, I had 100% confidence that was the right call. Um, so, and I, for the most part, I pretty much had that relationship with all my catchers, um, oh. even Martin Maldonado in Milwaukee, which I didn't throw to him a ton. Um, it was always Luke Roy, but had that, had that, felt like I had that relationship with a lot of them. Cause I think the, my pitching style, um, I was pretty much able, for the most part, to throw any pitch at any time. So they, you know, they would throw down whatever. And I, I wasn't a guy that threw hard, obviously. So I had to pitch backwards and, and throw breaking balls and fastball counts and all that so then having those guys back there that trusted me to be able to throw do that and pitch that that type of way um you know they didn't have to call the game like they would for somebody through 98 with only one off-speed pitch you know that they, they were able to call whatever they wanted and and uh we've got you know obviously go over game plans before the game but um it seems like we we're always on the page now if i had to pick one um that's another hard one to do but i mean philip had really good um, relationship with Phillips. And I also liked, not to sound mean or anything, but I like bigger, heavier catchers because it just felt like I had a big guy back there, a bigger target to throw to because I, I felt like if I threw to a, a small target, then I'd miss a little bit more where I had that big body. Even John Schneider, I think he's a coach up there now in Toronto. It's been forever since i talked to him, but he was my catcher in AAA for a long time. And he was a bigger guy, but having that bigger body, Sal Fasano was a good one, and he got low to the ground. Um, Phillips was low to the ground um, But if I had to pick one I think I was probably on, this, on the Page a lot more with John Buck than anybody Else.
2: So what you're saying Sean is if, if I was squatting Behind home plate you would not be a big fan Of that at all.
1: Probably not No, I wanted that bigger catcher like like Sal was awesome just because he was big but he was able to get Down low. Same for John Buck. He was so tall but he Was able to get down and give a big give a, a low Target but he was also big enough where I, I didn't feel Like I was throwing to Throwing to, through like a you know, a, a pinhole.
2: Yeah. Craig, thanks for your question. You know, and it's interesting because Sean, I've always thought of you as a, a real laid back guy and very easy to get along with. Were you, was that your relationship with pretty much everybody on the team that you were just kind of an easygoing guy and you didn't really kind of have guys that you didn't like?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, you're around all these guys, 25, I mean, if you're lucky, 26 guys, 27 guys, if nobody gets injured for um, 182 days. So, I mean, people are going to get in each other's face or down their throats every now and again and get annoyed with people. But at the same time, man, I felt like I had a great relationship with with a lot of my teammates, pretty much all of them. Um, I mean, it seems like, especially in Toronto and my my couple years in Milwaukee, man, we had a good group of guys. Everybody got along. Everybody hung out together, did things together. Um, And then I played for some teams where it was real clicky, where you had four or five guys and they hung out by themselves another four or five guys hung out by themselves. And, um, those, those two teams, th- not, not those two teams, but those teams are a little different to play for a little for me anyway, because I've wanted to get along with everybody. And, um, that's just how I was raised growing up playing with teams that it was all team pick each other up, find a way to help, help your teammate out. And we having a, a good team chemistry guys that get along together. I seem like they go a lot further.
2: Well, thank God you never uh, got to hate me or you wouldn't be on the show tonight. Uh, I do appreciate you, you coming on. Uh, listen, man, it's great catching up. So happy to see what you're doing with the kids. And uh, keep going, man. Keep in baseball. We need we need Sean Markham to stay in baseball.
1: We'll try. We'll try. Definitely definitely appreciate you having, on, having me on. So I hope all's well up there. And good talking with you guys as well.
2: And there is former Toronto Blue Jay Sean Markham. And, uh, you know, Tom, once again, for those that have watched this show, you might look and say, well, how can I sit in this Zoom room and ask questions? And, you know, I've thrown it out on Twitter I, I've to people that aren't OTP insiders. And, you know, if anybody, if we're in, ever in a situation where we need more, come try it out. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll want to sign up and be an OTP insider. If you, they do, Thomas, how do they go about doing it?
0: Patreon.com slash out of the park. As well, for the next month. The first person each week once we have released notification we've got a, a, a chat coming up first person to DM me on Twitter I'm gonna I'm gonna use my influence in this show to get you on to the podcast if you'd like and uh, you know sit in on one of these chats so cool. again patreon.com/ out of the park or send me on Twitter a DM let me know you know you want in on one of these and and get part of something real special.
2: Are you going to let us know what that Twitter
0: handle would be? I just assumed everybody knew. It's fourth underscore Thomas for the best baseball. Sometimes there's music and sometimes there's great humor. Follow me on Twitter. Fourth underscore Thomas. Send me a DM. If you want to get in on any one of the talks we've got coming up in the next month, some very exciting people we're lining up to talk to.
2: See, now that's how you self promote. Way to go, hey, Tom. That. Ah, I taught <laughs> you well, young master. Uh, Programming note on next week's show: We are going to be joined by Cy Young Award winner, not former Cy Young Award winner. You know, we're, we're going to get into that with with this Cy Young Award winner because he's not a former. He still he won a Cy Young Award, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't formerly. Anyway, Cy Young Award winner, former Toronto Blue Jay. Can he be a former
0: Toronto Blue Jay? Is that is that possible? I think he's kind of like a part time Toronto Blue Jay. Would now. I be, Would maybe, be con- he's maybe loosely affiliated Blue? Jay? All right.
2: Okay. Cy Young Award winner Pat Henkin joins us on the next Out of the Park, and he'll also be joined by a number of our OTP insiders. So, folks, uh, as Tom said, we've got some great shows coming up. Well, Thomas, uh, I'm going to tell you this. As much as I appreciate you doing the show from afar and not coming in with me anymore, uh, I still can hear when you boo, and it does hurt, but I have discovered just a wonderful, wonderful thing, and that is called the mute button. Folks, thank you so much for making us a part of your week. Here we go, man. Check me out. Under the ball and caught it. Caught the damn ball.
3: Two hands, too. Two hands 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 on the glove.
2: That's not bad, though. He taught me that. That was nice.
1: That's impressive, Barry.